Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Carrie Adams. Carrie is a seasoned professional with nearly two decades of experience in the fields of broadcast, brand design, digital experience, and creative content production. Born with a passion for storytelling and a keen eye for visual aesthetics, Carrie's journey in the industry has been nothing short of remarkable. Carrie's educational foundation was laid at the prestigious University of Lincoln in 2001, studying television and film design. She honed her skills and developed a deep understanding of the principles that underpin creative work. With a thirst for knowledge and strong academic background, Carrie set out on a career path that would see them become a trailblazer in the world of media and design. From crafting stunning visual identities for brands to producing captivating stories for a diverse range of media platforms, Carrie's work has consistently captivated and resonated with audiences. In a constantly evolving media landscape, Carrie continues to be a beacon of innovation and a trusted expert, leaving an enduring legacy of creativity and impact. Her journey from university graduate to agency founder in 2017 and peaking her career aspirations in leadership today. A testament to her unwavering passion, dedication, and talent growth in the world of design. Beyond their professional achievements, Carrie is known for her commitment to excellence, her relentless pursuit of creative perfection, and her ability to inspire and lead teams towards success. Carrie remains dedicated to pushing the boundaries of what is possible in broadcast, brand design, and creative content production. Welcome to the show, Carrie. I'm so excited to have you on. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. Great, great. So let's get started. Carrie, as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Um, I've got to go back a few years. It's probably mm-hmm. about spanning 20 years since I started, but um, I started in broadcast, so Mm -hmm. I suppose you could class that as tech because I became obsessed with understanding how TV was broadcast to the nation. Mm. And um, so my degree that I went from television and film design, I got straight in, got my hands dirty and started right at the bottom of the ladder in uh, creative services and worked my way up to becoming a promo producer and I don't know if that's the same in the States, but what that is, is um, editing trailers for the TV ads. Mm. So um, you've got, you know, a series launching and you'd love mm-hmm. a really great, um, you know, propeller for um, for the marketing campaign. Sure. And it would be mm-hmm. watching hours upon hours of TV, which was a love of mine anyway, mm-hmm. to then work you know 16 17 hours worth of tv down into 30 seconds so you know how how could you do that in um in you know within a day or two days and turn that around quickly so that became the the basis for my career um however i think i was in that within that career within creative services for various channels in the uk like channel 4 channel 5 itv and it became clear I think around sort of my late 20s, that there was nowhere really to move from that sector of of broadcast. And that's all I knew. So it became clear at that point that, A, I wasn't getting anywhere in terms of 
promotion quickly enough and the mm-hmm. job started to become very samey it started to become very churn heavy and monotonous yeah it became mm-hmm. you know watching tv programs creating a trailer you create a, an amazing campaign or what you thought you would, would be an amazing campaign and then you'd show it to the marketing team and they'd pick it apart and tell you to do something completely different anyway mm-hmm. so it became mm-hmm. quite frustrating um, and then I chose to look at how TV channels were designed and I realized they always, TV channels always outsourced the creative for their own branding. And that's what led me to, to jump across the pond, so to speak, in terms of um, going up to agency side, because I wanted to understand what it was like to work with clients and not just delivering trailers to a marketing, you know, an internal marketing team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. I made a little bit of a leap and went over to a design agency um, called Dixon Baxi, who are quite well known in the UK for, um, well, they were known at the time for a lot of branding, brand strategy and design, and and then became a producer of the channel branding side, so completely the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, working under female management, which um, I know is another subject we're going to talk about later, but I'll mm-hmm. leave that. Um, and then really enjoyed being client facing and understanding how to you know digest briefs and and create you know design with meaning and design with strategy and then it led me on to do a lot of experiential work with larger agencies such as imagination and go around the world doing you know automotive launches and learning about how to bring the digital world and the content world together um, it was then that I started to, to manage teams of, you know, app creation builds, um, you know, applications for different interactive experiences that, that we toured around the world. So that then kind of bred the, the love for digital and content in, in a marriage together. Um, and, and there came Velvet Badger some years later because, um, you know, we wanted to, I say we, my, me and my business partner, we wanted to create the work that we wanted to create and again I'll come on to that in a little while but that's really the the career trajectory that I've taken until now. That's great wow what a varied level of experiences to know (laughs) what what you like right Um, and it was clear in the beginning that the customer side was really where your heart was and where the challenges were that you could really make a difference, right? Um, So it's amazing, amazing. Great, great um, career journey. I think you had a great career journey. So share share with us how tech is changing the way creative agencies work. God, where do you start? I think think tech has always been there um, Mm -hmm. and it's always been the, the foundation for any, for a creative agency. I mean, you can go back as far as like the days prior to email and prior to internet where people had you know the whiteboards and the and the pens and they kind of brainstormed on the big old you know pads and and got the culling pens out but I think that was pre pre my era so I've Uh only ever known I've only ever known tech to be featuring but the the main areas for me I think are sort of collaboration and communication you know the collaboration tools that we use on a daily basis you Uh know you've got your a lot of software out there in terms of um, project management tools, um, cloud-based softwares where it allows people to work around the world, but together, you know, mm-hmm. that's massively mm-hmm. influencing um, a lot of our work at Velvet Badger because 
you know, we've got um, specialists that are around the world who we can't pull into our office. And so we have to work remotely with them. And that's where those tools come in and they're, they're paramount, especially for the recent project we delivered for Gucci. You know, it was it was a lighting designers over in one end of the world. And then you had technicians to do, you know, product modeling in an, an you know, in the far end of the on the other scale. So um, definitely collaboration tools. Um, I think that content creation and distribution um, is is quite key because they rely on sort of graphic design softwares, video editing, social tools, all of the things, that, like I said, have been there from the beginning, but they've uh -huh. just evolved so, so much. That's and nice. we're constantly, constantly learning how to use the next best thing, you know, the new piece of software that's out. You know, we've all used the Adobe software here and there, but right, it's just right. on leaks rounds and we've had to learn with it. And so mm -hmm. you really have to give the, the team the time to do that, aside from actually doing the job themselves. And um, do you feel the the creative industry is embracing that those tools or oh, are they afraid of them? I, I think the, the best people and the best designers, the best creatives definitely are embracing. Okay. And I think you notice it in a skill set because we are, as an agency, always on the lookout for the top mm -hmm. talent. Mm -hmm. um, we don't believe that you can have everything under one roof. And therefore, we've always got our eyes peeled for the people who are showing the technique in the in the most current software and the most current you know iteration mm -hmm. of that software. Um, okay. you know, we, we see that mainly on things like Behance or within our community on Discord because people share and people are proud of that. Um, so we gravitate towards those people and we try to incorporate them where we see talent. We try to incorporate them where we can, where they fit the best, the best, um, mm -hmm. the most efficiently. Okay. Um, I think an, another area for me is client interaction and, and pitching and when I say that it's it's like um you know you've got to think of the old pitching days where you'd sit in a boardroom and pitch an idea to a client and you kind mm -hmm. of read their face and see if they like it or they don't like right. it right but I think in this day and age we're starting to you know veer towards the virtual reality presentations or mm -hmm. make interactive demos or you know, real-time collaboration tools with our clients to make them part of the process and not just mm -hmm. a receiver. Um, so there's lots that we're doing. We're doing it on that front. Um, I think probably another area, and the only other one I can think of right now is the automation and in AI, maybe like mm -hmm. the automation tools, the artificial intelligences that are streamlining repetitive tasks and data analysis or yes. content generation because as a business you know whenever we create um, and we deliver a project there is going to be countless amounts of different formats different aspect ratios right. different right. iterations of the same thing that we need to generate so we don't you, you know tend to use a lot of that in our workflow right now but i can see that coming very very soon in the future yeah, no, that's great. So what were the reasons behind setting up Velvet Badger? Tell me a little bit about that. Um, what are the reasons? I think the main reason, I've got to think back now, five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know it doesn't sound a long time ago. What was like, like your motivation <laughs> to get it started? Um, it was, I suppose, timing was key because, like I said, my business partner, Chris Joyce, he's 
he's the creative side of the business because he comes from a 3D design background and I come from a project management and project director background Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we've worked together for many many years in the experiential sector in terms of creating content for applications or content for events within a, a massive agency and what we found was we we were unable to be agile in those situations Mm -hmm. and communication the bureaucracy was such had such an impact on the direction of any project it just felt like we were being told exactly what to deliver exactly how to do it always do it in the cheapest possible way always do it at the you know the speediest rate possible because you'd never have any time Mm -hmm. and it felt like those decisions were never ours so we really wanted to create an agency that could be agile and remove the bureaucratic structures, you know, encourage communication, encourage the, the great talent to, like I said, to be sourced for the right reasons and not just to put a bum on seat or right. as they say, instead of, you know, he's an animator, that's going to, he'll be the right fit or she'll be the right fit because she's an animator. But are they the right person? Are they the right mm-hmm. talent? We always found that was very, very you know, limiting in terms of working with agencies. And above all, it was, you know, deciding the work that we wanted to do and deciding mm-hmm. to do that from start to finish, from conception and storytelling all the way through to delivery and not just being brought in to just deliver that one tiny bit or mop up that that, that mess that maybe, you know, the wrong talent, you know, unbeknown to them are created and, and, and have ownership over that and be proud of it. So, yeah. I love I love that it was more about the client, right? It's understanding what the client wants, understanding their needs, and then building Absolutely. a program around that. Absolutely, because yeah. we we were never really on you know the client facing side. It, we were we were brought in at the point where those you decisions were kind of behind the scenes. Yeah, those big decisions had already been made without us even having to to factor into them. You know, mm-hmm. our perspectives as project leaders or as creatives you know, it would be born from one creative lead to having, having a great epiphany, storyboarding it, getting buy-in, and it was just right now make it. And then the problems come up and the solutions to it have to be sort of thought of on the ground whilst you're running rather than from the very start and understanding mm-hmm. what's it that way. How mm-hmm. are you going to see the future of that and, and overcome the issues? Also, a, a more... Um, strategic rate in terms of budget because I'm sure you know that when you hit a problem you throw money at it or you throw time at it mm-hmm. whereas if you solve those problems earlier in the process that budget stretches longer that time is more efficient and we found that owning the, that that part of a project owning the conception was not only fun it's great because we can you know create that narrative ourselves and make it um, but also it's a good nurturing process for your clients and it, and it, and it makes them come back again. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. I love the money and time are the two mm-hmm. reasons, you know, to really make a difference. So I, I think, think that's, that's great. <laughs> if we don't have any money, we don't have any time. Ever. Right, right. <laughs> so true. So you started to touch a little bit on AI. And how do automated tools and AI-powered software streamline repetitive tasks in your industry? Um, I think the main, a big one for us is probably reducing human error. There's Mm -hmm. one there. 
I mean, like right. I said, we don't tend to use AI yet to streamline our processes because within a creative agency like ours, we're very small. Um, however, we we tend to look at the detail from a human perspective before anything else and know that we've got it right before we enter into any type of AI workflow. So human error can be one of them, saving time, increasing, increasing efficiency, you know, and, and enabling those the workers and the humans behind that to, to deal with the more complex strategic aspects of their work and the, the creative side, you know, the critical thinking and the problem solving skills. It allows for that brain power. So um, I think that, like I said, AI in terms of streamlining tasks within our industry is going to increase. It's going to get better. One mm-hmm. way that we do it in a, on a larger scale right now is to um, to increase creative capacity. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is things like, you know, we can take take a campaign that we've just done for Gucci. We had to design a whole flower scene, flower garden, every single flower and every single product was designed and created in a 3D software mm-hmm. and animated 3D. However, take that time that it's taken a designer to craft that individual flower and use AI to do it when we understand and know that that AI output is going to be, it's going to be rights controlled in terms of mm-hmm. if we create an AI, our client can own it. At that point, it's going to open floodgates for us. And then that's just a small example, but it shows that there's two different workflows here. One's going to be extremely time efficient. However, what is the onward you know, issues that are around that content creation through AI in terms of rights owning um, any any content and in terms of, um, you know, copyright infringement and things like that. So as soon as those problem areas are solved within that that um, in that sector, I definitely think we're going to be using it more and more and more. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think to make it a time efficient solution mm. where AI is producing some of the stuff that you don't have to start from scratch, yeah. it's going to help you so much more and Absolutely. you'll be able to do more with less, you know, so I think that's that's great. Um, so as we know, with the pandemic, you know, it's changed the way we work, uh, how technology is facilitating seamless collaboration among global teams and freelancers. What are you seeing in the industry and um, how is it changing the creative space? Carl, that's a loaded question, but I know I think <laughs> it's fair to say that um, tools like Slack, Teams, Zoom, they've cleaned up, haven't they, you know, in this, yeah. Um, yeah. In this day and age. And I actually went to an event yesterday around um, not ditching necessarily the virtual event side and coming back fully into the the present and the, the physical mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. because um you know everyone now knows exactly what zoom is you know exactly what teams is but it was a, a raise your hands you know as to who's used any of those mm-hmm. tools before the mm-hmm. pandemic it was just mm-hmm. a, a small amount of people small mm-hmm. only people raised so I think it's clear to say that, that those types of softwares have come on leaps and bounds because they've been the savior of many many companies many infrastructures um, however as an agency like I say of our size before the pandemic we were using those tools and we were working with cloud-based softwares collaborative editing softwares because like I said we choose the people around the world who are the specialists in their field that we can't bring into our offices right. under the roof. So 
for an agency like us, we've always been doing that. Um, it didn't, therefore, it didn't kind of phase us when when the pandemic hit. We knew exactly what we needed to do, and we were already doing it. We just had to do mm-hmm. it better. Mm-hmm. So a plus for us. However, we definitely um, we've definitely integrated more than I think um, that we thought we would in terms of softwares to to do that. You know, things like Figma is a software that's been fundamental for us because it allows for live collaborative editing of creative boards mm-hmm. and cloud-based storage we've always been using however we just had to you know increase um the bandwidth increase the you know the the subscriptions and add more to it but it's nothing that you we had not seen before so um yeah i think what what we're doing is right we you know we've always been doing it and i think the suppliers of those um of those types of softwares are very much in competition with each other now and who's going to clean up the most but there are yeah, a new one yeah. every day and I think what's happening is that um, people are realizing the value of the time they gain with virtual, yes. right? And so they're gaining additional time. They're being more efficient with AI. They are mm-hmm. finding that they can do so much more in a given day than they mm. could before. But before the pandemic, they never realized that because it was business as yeah. usual. We always did it this way and we continue to do it this way. And then yeah. when things changed, it was very different. So I love that the industry is embracing you know, the virtual yeah. side also. I like the fact too that um, that people are more open to having a mm-hmm. Zoom or a face-to-face Zoom. I say Zoom, it's because what we use as a business. I shouldn't um, linger on any one brand. <laughs> uh, video calling over picking up the phone in, in right. the old way, way is so yeah. much more, um, I think you get more out of it. And I think people have realized that. And so they're, they're, they're pushing the boundaries on that because it used to be the other way around. It right. used to be people would pick up the phone or email and getting on a video call is something so alien to them, but it's completely reversed the playing field. And you've got to look at the people coming into our industries on a younger, on a younger scale. Mm-hmm. And now what they, 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 it's second nature to them. These video calls is, is a collaborative working is something, it's just like when the internet broke, you know, if you were just behind that and you chose not to embrace it, you're, you're feeling that pinch now because right. you're less technical or, you know, you just, you've become archaic in your work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I find that the younger people are so acclimated to texting and, and getting things done simultaneously rather than having to call somebody or wait till they are available to answer the phone. You know, it's just a whole different dynamic. So it's really, really interesting. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, this folk podcast is focused around bridging the culture and pay and employment gap for women in tech. What are you seeing in the industry to get today from your lens? Um, I'm. What am I seeing? Uh, I see, I'm seeing a huge light being shone oh, on okay. the female presence in tech and in creative industries like my own. Um, and I say that because you know I see a lot of events cropping up. You know, the women in a silicon roundabout mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. event in terms of women in tech. Um, so to, for them, for, for events, physical events to be, you know, curated around this subject, it says to me that it's providing a platform for the subject matter, which is great because um, I recently I wrote an article on LinkedIn around um, 
my opinion of of this sector you know females in tech and when mm. i say tech it's so broad you know tech mm-hmm. can right. be, it can be broadcast it can be creative it can be using tech in any of in any um in any career mm-hmm. so you know my opinion on this was i'm not necessarily a feminist by any means i'm not mm-hmm. you know flying the flag for females in the industry but um what i am seeing is is a voice platform for people mm-hmm. who are a entering the space and b in the space who can actually reflect back on their own careers. And I did this to myself, and I looked back and I thought, right, I've come from broadcast, I've gone to the creative agency, client facing. At what point has um, has you know the male dominance in my career affected me? And I actually didn't think it had. I you know I was flying through. I own my own business. Um, I didn't think it was a problem. I didn't think it was an issue or if mm-hmm. in my history. But when I look back, it was the fundamental reason for leaving broadcast was because I was always going for promotions, never getting them, but not realizing mm-hmm. because there was mm-hmm. a male there that mm-hmm. created a circle that they felt safe in. And then they therefore they would promote their the people that they felt they could mm-hmm. work with. That's really interesting that you didn't even see that happening until later when you actually had that female mentor and the female uh, manager that then those things started to pop up. Yeah, I think many people are like that. Yeah, it takes for someone to actually go, well, how have you come to to where you are now? So, Mm -hmm. you know, after my years in broadcast, I worked for a female managing director at Dixon Mm -hmm. Baxi for a female um, manager imagination it was it it was an unconscious decision making process that I felt Mm -hmm. I felt empowered to to know that I was worthy and that's a massive thing for me females understanding that they that they have a value in the place that they work and And they're more collaborative right I mean everything we do is more collaborative so that's good yeah so when it comes to pay gaps I think there's always going to be disparity and I don't Mm -hmm. think there's maybe in the future I don't know mm-hmm. there's always to be an element of fear I mean I have to I'm on both sides of the fence here because I'm a business owner and I look mm-hmm. at who we employ at our agency and I make decisions based on on you know facts of life mm-hmm. females are the um females are the the breeders of the next generation you know mm-hmm. they give birth they right. raise so can men they raise and, and they nurture. However, time has to be taken off, and valuing that person should not be depleted, or it should not be necessarily undervalued because they may need to take that time, time to go right. away and do that for themselves. And that is the only difference between male and female, you know. And I think if that's the reason there is a disparity in pay, then there should be, you know, laws and things around this that have not sure. yet been put in place around the world right. you know there's right. great pioneers. there's great there are great pioneers like um um anna at flex appeal who's pioneering for this the closing of this gap in the uk i don't know if you've heard of her but she's doing amazing work in shining mm. light on the fact that you know what's we her are name again anna oh i can't remember her surname i'm just gonna look her okay. up that's okay I, yeah yeah okay i have not um, heard of her but good for her that's really great we yeah. need more you know more people like her to be promoting what we do. Yeah. 
Because um, I think part of it is an education, right? I mean, a lot of times men are not doing it on purpose or they have a bias yeah. based on their yeah. upbringing or something else, Absolutely. right? They're not really looking to put us down, but, uh, but it happens because of other things. So educating them about, you know, mm -hmm. hey, we are the breeders. We're bringing in this next generation. We want everybody to be equal. We want them to have just as strong of a voice as their brothers or sisters, you know? And it's important for them to be educated about that. Absolutely. And this, you know, this whole flex appeal thing that Anna Whitehouse, you know, pioneers, it, it's, it reflects some elements of what COVID-19 has done to us in mm -hmm. that we may not be working a nine to five day anymore. However, we're just as productive when you put your effort into the times when you are, when you know you're going to be productive and you put, you know, boundaries in place of time where you that you have to ring fence to do other things, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you can't do both. There's no there's no element of well, she's going to do that in four hours, and he's going to work an eight hour day. If they can right, get right. exactly the same month at that time, then I think we need to be more flexible in our thinking for that reason. Right. Absolutely, and, absolutely. Great, great thoughts on that end. So let's jump into VR, virtual reality and augmented reality. Tell me how this is affecting creative agencies because it's getting big. It is. And we, uh, well, in, in our agency here, we're embracing it. You know, we're mm -hmm. pushing forward, you know, especially with the brands that we're working with to encourage them to use it or to encourage them to use us to enable them right. to, you know, to enhance their brand, you know, changing our approach to storytelling, design, marketing, uh, client engagement, it's it's changing the playing field for sure. Um, but AR and VR, they're offering almost new dimensions for creativity and innovation. You know, mm -hmm. they're allowing agencies to push boundaries and deliver really unique and impactful experiences. Some of them we are um, research and developing at the moment in terms of um, e-commerce for luxury brands and how mm -hmm. they really need to be embracing those, the audiences in the digital world versus the real world. You know, if if you take brands, you know, luxury brands in, in the fashion sector, let's say, just as a, a, an example, that could be in any sector, really, um, they've got a physical audience who come to events like Fashion Weeks um, and really, you know, want to look at the products they're seeing up close and personal. Yet you've got that whole audience who can't get there or who don't feel comfortable getting there or don't feel like they want to walk into a flagship store and really look at that product in detail. Yet they can do it in a virtual space designed really well with such great clarity in their own personal space. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just a simple click away for them to be able to be an owner of that brand or a, right. you have to have a piece of that brand. And then you reverse that and you allow the brand to then own that audience and not necessarily own it, but have reach to it. So we're really pushing the boundaries of what we can do with AR and VR in terms of experiences that live on and experiences that breed a massive return on investment for brands. I love that. And I think it differentiates you tremendously by using them because it helps your customers understand who you are and they don't have to learn all of that. You can bring it to them. Right. And that's exactly. so important. Yeah. That's very important. Yeah. We so always say awesome. that we're here. Yeah. We always say that we are here to make mm -hmm. people 
better. That's one right. of our, you know, our trademarks, if you will. We're always saying, you know, you should be coming to us because you've got we are the experts. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And that's definitely a great differentiator for customers to come to you versus going to another creative agency because they are seeing the value up front. Yes. So my next question is interesting because um, I was thinking about just my my journey in running a business. And when I first started and it was small, I made a lot of decisions from my gut. And then over time, so many, many years ago, I started looking at data to make decisions. Why do you think it's so critical that we leverage data analytics for decision making? It's critical because we need... It's, it's like our facts checking, you know, it's like going on air and saying and making a statement and not having your facts in order. Right, so right. It's as simple as that. It's informed decision making, which provides, you know, the valuable insights that we absolutely need because you can't, you can fabricate stuff, but it's going to come back and bite you in the backside later mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it identifies opportunities as well. It doesn't just, you know, create the the facts behind what we're stating mm-hmm. and you know it's it's enhancing customer experience it, you know it's understanding behaviors through data analytics it allows businesses to to personalize products and services so it, it's fundamental that we can we, we have been using it and we continue to use data analytics because data is the foundation for what any client is paying for Right. I mean, right. you look at experiences. We create experiences. An agency, we create experiences that um, that are intelligent, and mm-hmm. we want our clients to be able to not only have the the ability to um, to own those experiences and look great in the process, but give them the tools directly back that that allow them to to, to glean their own insights. You mm-hmm. know, what's working for them, and what are, are they making the right decisions as a business? to enlist the company like Velvet Badger to make and create those experiences for them rather than just going, well, I think we should because that's what the world's doing right now. We have to all understand that there are reasons and you have to, it always comes down to return on investment for me. I don't want to take on a project for any client that doesn't have a reason for being created or for being absolutely. And it goes both ways. We have to understand what that reason is. And our clients deserve to have that information delivered to them and shown that it's going to work for them. That's so critical, I think. And I love that, you know, you said that your client is paying for your data for the intelligence. Mm. I think that is great, great points about why clients come to you. And for you to have that strong feeling to give them a return on their investment, otherwise it's not worth it. That's so important, so important. So I love that. So data is critical to making Absolutely. any kind of decisions about your company. It doesn't it doesn't even come down to just the digital sector. It, you know, we take take the brand strategy that Velvet Badger does for clients. You know, you take um, if we're designing a brand identity, for example, for any business or any any brand, we have to look at you know, the data around us to understand if we are positioning them in the right place. You know, you can't take a really tiny unknown brand that says they want to be a luxury brand, but clearly Mm -hmm. isn't, and just place them up there in that strategic area without understanding 
the comparisons of other brands around them. We have to show the brand that we are positioning them in that place for a specific reason. And the reason is X, Y or Z. Yes. Glean that from you have to data. show that so that the, it's exactly. a reality and not just yes. a thought you know it, it exactly. is really the data analytics is giving that decision process sure. yeah sure. that's great that's great well let's move on to a personal side because this is a selfish question uh because i love to travel and i add to my bucket list every time i talk to a new guest <laughs> so what is your favorite place to travel and why my favorite place that you've already been there yeah um well me and my my husband love traveling and mm -hmm. being child free and crazy you know we do go to a lot of different places and we nice. go there, you know, like short little breaks here and there to try and maximize you know our our um our footprint but mm -hmm. i think i think the best place current or well, so far probably is, is San Sebastian or the northern Spain region purely oh. for I think for the art the culture and definitely it's got to be for the food I just love oh, food. yes Absolutely yes yeah see and that that means so much okay I'm going to add that one to my list because we just went to Sevilla Spain and came back from yes. there and I love love loved it I didn't have enough time there but I felt that art culture and food I love all of those things about yeah. Spain you know it's in the architecture and it's all around you and it's yes. just full of freer even in the um i look in you know furniture shop storefront mm -hmm. and it's just the way they can dress their windows it's just yes. as far about it they just you know they love a, 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 a clash of of pattern and color they're not afraid they're flamboyant yes. They really you know, express themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Through that. That's great. Thank you for that great tip because I think it's great. That's awesome. All right. So, in closing, Carrie, can you uh, share with your listeners how they can get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. Um, well, LinkedIn is a massive uh, business mm -hmm. tool that I use. So, I'm on LinkedIn. Just search Carrie Adams at Velvet Badger. Mm -hmm. um, our website's got all of our handles on. That's velvetbadger.com. Okay. Um, of our social handles um our instagram feed shows the work that we do and we, we deliver but ultimately um we're always sharing thought leadership pieces on linkedin to share our thoughts in how our industry is changing and evolving that's great well thank you thank you this was an honor to have you on the show your uh, insights are invaluable they're so great and i know our listeners are going to enjoy our conversation because it's very uh, very in tune with what the world is needing right now. I hope so. And thank you for having thank you. me. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum 
on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.